The scripture reading today is Psalm 51, verse 1 through 12. It's found on page 492 of your Pew Bible. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love, according to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done that which is evil in thy sight, so that thou art justified in thy sentence and blameless in thy judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward being. Therefore teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Fill me with joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. We're in the middle of a sermon series right now called Speaking Christian. It's based on a book by Marcus Borg that uh, re-examines some of the language of of Christianity and, and recontextualizes it for us, grounded in a biblical understanding of a lot of those words and a first century understanding of a lot of those things. And uh, my hope in doing this series is really to expand our understanding, not necessarily to uh, get you know throw out some of the old things, although some of it might be a little bit challenging. And that is that is true of today as well as we talk about sin and forgiveness and repentance. Three huge topics that uh, that uh, probably occupy a lot of our time and thought and prayer. Uh, and as I've said before, for those of you who are new here, this isn't my normal preaching style either. This is kind of a, because this is such a, a core, we're talking about so many core things, I really like to, to have more of a dialogue than just uh, me pontificating from the pulpit. So um, as such, I, I wanted to open up by basically uh, asking, so what's the worst sin you did? You know, really, someone want to throw that one out? <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> I don't want to know, and you don't want to know mine either. So <laughs> I was just kidding. Uh, but let me ask you this: uh, throw out the biggies. What are the big? If we were to make a list of sins, what would those be? Murder, absolutely. Just shout them out. What? Do you, say it again. Stealing, absolutely. Lying. Okay, getting in the way of being an obstacle between God and anyone else. Cheating. Greed. Unforgiveness. Gossip. Hallelujah. (laughs) Others? Fornicating. Yes. Any any others? What? Hate. That's right. Anger and all of that. How about... Say it again. Greed. Absolutely. Selfishness. My mother would say cussing. 
right? <laughs> Selfishness, right? Any others? Yeah, we all know them, right? It's kind of like that, that saying, we know sin when we see it, right? Uh, <laughs> and it's kind of like that. I think we know, we know sin when we see it. But I think it's a, sometimes uh, this notion about sin can get, can get in the way of a broader message that comes from Christ. Because I know that, I know that at, the central, at the center of Christian faith in the, in the 20th century, in the 21st century, in, in Protestant evangelical America, Jesus uh, forgiving our sins is central to what it is to be a follower of Christ. And I want you to start by saying that, that sin is a problem. <laughs> and you know, I often find that after a while, people, eventually someone comes to my office and says, Pastor, I don't think you're talking about sin enough. You need to talk about sin. And what I want to tell you is that there is not one sermon I have ever done that isn't talking about sin in some way, shape, or form. What, what usually is going on when someone comes to my office and says you're not talking about sin is that they're not recognizing that I'm usually talking about their sin. Right? They want me to talk about your sin. <laughs> they don't want me to talk about their sin. <laughs> right? No one ever comes to me and says, you know, Pastor, I have a problem with lust. Would you talk about that in your sermon? Right? No one ever wants me to talk about their problem. Right? So, uh, you know, oftentimes there's always this element of, of how we can do better and how we can how we sometimes fall short of all that God wants for us. And the, the term sin actually means missing the mark. It's an archery term that was, uh, that was coined for, for when we are falling short of what God expects and what God has for us. And, and while I, I tell you right now, sin is a problem. The problem I think we run into is that oftentimes we think that it is the problem, right? And, and you understand where we get this, that this notion that the world is under sin and we have original sin and we're all stained with this concept of original sin and, and that only through Christ can we have that, that, that sin expunged. But, you know, biblically, sin is just one of many issues that plagues humanity, the, the human condition, yes, there is a problem with falling short, with missing the mark, with not, not living up to all that God has in store for us. But there's a lot more going on than just what is missing. Because quite frankly, whenever I'm preaching, there's always two audiences I got going on. People who need to hear grace and people who need to have a finger pointed at him a little bit. <laughs> right? And Jesus was the same way. Jesus was always... What did he do to the, the people who were most sinful in the Bible? What was Jesus' response to that? Grace and love and compassion. You know, the woman caught in adultery. I don't condemn you. Neither does anybody else. You know, and he lifted her up off the ground. Those who were righteous, what did Jesus have for them? Woe to you. Woe to you who think you're so great. Woe to you whitewashed tombs. Right? This is what Jesus said to those who were righteous. Right? So Jesus has a very different view of what is of, of, of sin and the cure for sin and the problems of the world. 
Right? And if we go back to the Old Testament, the issues, the issues of the Old Testament, you know, the Hebrew people enslaved in Egypt, their problem wasn't sin. They weren't slaves because they were sinful. They were slaves because Egypt enslaved them. What they needed was not forgiveness of their sins and redemption. What they needed was liberation. And to be set free. And that's what God did. And even in the exile, when the Hebrew people went into exile, while oftentimes Isaiah is talking about the sinfulness of that generation and how they turned away from God, what is really being said there is what is needed once you're in exile, what is needed is to return home. Come home to God. And Jesus really picks up on this idea of finding your way back home. It is all about being on the way and finding your way back home, finding your way back to Christ. That's why Jesus is called the way. Right? The earliest designator of Jesus were uh, as of Christians before they were called Christians was people of the way. Those who followed Christ in order to find their way back home to God. And so sin is a problem, but I don't, I don't necessarily think it's the problem. Because sometimes, I, I think what is the bigger issue is that we're harder on ourselves than God is. And it has to do with our reluctance to take God's Word at it, that when God says, I love you unconditionally, I love you in spite of all the dumb things you do. And there's a lot of them. I love you in spite of, of your worst days. I love you, and in fact, we get uncomfortable with how much God loves us. We think God can't possibly love me when I do that. But that's what unconditional love is, folks. There's not a condition. <laughs> there is no condition. And probably we, you know, I could take it even, we get even more uncomfortable when I think about all those people we hate. And all those despicable people, think of the worst people you can think of. You know what? God loves them too. In spite of the pain they cause, in spite of the problems they bring into the world, sin is a problem. But God's love doesn't depend on our righteousness. God's love is already there. Forgiveness is given in advance. It's already there. That's the grace of God. That's that agape, godly, unconditional love. Now I know, quite frankly, we str- I struggle with this because what about justice, God? What about, what about people getting what they have coming? But see, that's, that's us thinking like the world thinks. God is love and those who worship God worship Him in love and in spirit. Right? God's unconditional love is lavished on us. God loves us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What an incredible... While we were yet sinners, Jesus did all that needed to be done to give us grace and forgiveness. Went out of God, God went out of God's way to demonstrate that our own sinfulness is no obstacle to God's love. That's what the cross is about. That's what the resurrection is about. The world's best shot at squashing God's love didn't work. And there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. I'm quoting a lot of Paul here, if you're you're paying attention. I'm quoting a lot of Paul. 
So uh, I guess what I want to get at about sin is that I, th- I think oftentimes we need to attune ourselves and really embrace the grace that God has for us. Sometimes we're too hard on ourselves. Now some of you aren't hard on yourself enough. I, I'll, I'll, you know, we'll get to that in other sermons. But <laughs> today, what I want you to hear is that I think you're hard on yourself. You know, God knows our struggles. God knows when we try and God knows when we don't. And I think the point of God saying, repent of your sin and turn to Me, and we'll get to repentance in just a moment, is to remind you that the, the life God has in store for you is so much better than the life you can imagine for yourself. The life of sinfulness, right? The sins that kind of get in the way of embracing that life. God says, if you, if you pay attention to Me and let Me point you in the right direction, sin won't be a problem because you're going to want to embrace this life with Me. Uh, going along with sin is this notion of forgiveness. And I, there's another complicated thing. Because uh, we hear Scriptures, like when Peter says, Lord, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? We hear the, the uh, G- Peter says seven. He thinks that's a big number. Hey, seven? That's pretty generous, right? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven is how many times you must forgive your brother. And we hear Scriptures like that, and we think, well, how can I do that? How am I supposed to forgive some people and you know the problem the problem i run into with this is that there's some assumptions made in the bible when jesus is talking you know jesus has it good you know jesus has it easy he can he can talk in ideals right uh but we have practical problems (laughs) you know jesus can can idealize what goes on there but when when jesus is talking about forgiveness between peter and his brother there's an assumption of a certain amount of a equity that's going on here a certain equalized relationship where forgiveness does yield some kind of important thing and and i will say at its heart what forgiveness gives us is the ability to continue to be in relationship without forgiveness the relationship is severed if i'm mad at ray and i don't and he apologizes to me and i say well you know what Forget it. It's too much. I can't, I can't forgive you. It's just, it's never going to be the same. We've effectively ended our relationship. That's it. There's nowhere else to go. Without me forgiving him, there's nowhere else to go. And so that's the joy. That's the blessing of forgiveness. That's the design of forgiveness. It was the same between ourselves and God, right? If God couldn't forgive us for all of our dumb things, it effectively severs that relationship. And so God said, you know what? I've already forgiven you. I'm not going to worry about that because I don't ever want to not be in a relationship with you. And, it, and God encourages us to be in those same kind of relationships with one another. But here's, here's the caveat. i got to tell you, my wife's sick today, but she's not here, but she has given me permission to talk about these things. My wife's childhood was hell. And it was hell brought on by a lot of abusive, awful, evil people who exacted and took out evil on my wife as she grew up. She lived through hell. She was abused. 
and used. And, you know, God loves these people, but I am angry as hell about it. It affects her to this day. If I were to say to her, you need to forgive, uh, oftentimes what people hear in that is that I need to just let these people abuse me some more. Forgiveness is never about that. In, in fact, the best thing you can do for someone who is like that is to get as far away so that they never abuse you again. And that's the only grace you can give them, is to never let them use you and abuse you again. And, and uh, what my wife would say is she has, she has gone through uh, she has gone through a process of, of forgiveness for her, for her own sake. You know, I mean, wh- to take that weight of that, uh, because without, without some kind of reconciliation with that childhood, it would just be a weight on her for the rest of her life. So she would, she would describe to you a process of forgiveness, but it, I guarantee you she will never not as long as I'm married to her, she will never, ever be in a relationship with these people ever again. Fortunately, a lot of them are dead. But she will never be in a position where they can abuse her again. Even, even if she does forgive them. <laughs> so, uh, he, so I wanted to make that clear, that forgiveness does not mean that someone can just use you as a punching bag. In fact, forgiveness means cutting that off and insisting on, insisting on an equitable and right relationship with one another because that's what forgiveness is about. It's about making the relationships right. It's about that. Remember a few weeks ago I was talking about shalom and that peace relationship, that right relationship that we have with God and with one another. Well, if one person is abusing you, that is not a right relationship. That is a wrong and inequitable and something is wrong relationship. And forgiveness has a role there. And sometimes the right relationship to be in is to never be in a room with that person ever again. That's the right relationship. And pray that they go and find some kind of help or whatever. Does that make sense? Give me an amen. amen. Okay. So there is a role of forgiveness here, and it is about making right relationships. If we can't forgive one another, we can't, we can't be in a right relationship as a church. And you know, along with forgiveness comes this other idea of repentance. And you know, sometimes, sometimes we Christians, we want to make things so, we want to wrap it up. We want to wrap it up so neatly, right? We want to make a formula. And I wish we had a formula. Okay, for this sin, and, and some of our brothers and sisters do this, right? For this sin, if you do this, this, and this, you, you know, then you're right with God, right? And I'm, it's not that I'm against pen, penance. I'm, sometimes, it's, I, I, sometimes I need that, but it's usually for myself, not for anyone else. So, uh, you know, sometimes we want to formulate this. Like, if you repent of this sin, then everything's okay. And, and if you don't, then, of course, you know, we go back to that other sermon we did, which is the threat of hell kind of looms over you. What repentance is about is about turning back to God 
It's about turning away from from the world that pulls us away from God. It's about turning away from those things that would get in our that would be a stumbling block. It's about turning away from those places and those things in our hearts that that are unhealthy, that drag us into a mire. It's about letting Jesus reach down while we're down in the mud and the muck and say, I don't condemn you, neither does anybody else. Stand up and walk. It's about letting Jesus lift our head and point us heavenward. Uh, The word literally means to turn away and to turn back toward God. That's what repent means. The Greek word is also interesting. It, uh, the, the, the Greek word means to be of a different mind. To be of a better mind. Right? I like that one. To, to constantly be looking toward how am I becoming the best version of myself? Knowing that not only does that honor God, not only does that honor God, but it invites me into a life of true abundance and fullness. And it promotes a, a kingdom of God living for everybody. You know, kind of, that kind of brings me full circle back to the state of humanity. Sin is a problem. Repentance puts us back on the road, helps us, gives us a starting point. And God's unconditional grace says that we don't have to really we don't have to sacrifice animals. We don't have to do a lot. That God is always ready to start us down that road again. No matter how far away we get. And we get far. <laughs> no matter how far away we get, it's a matter of just turning. It's a matter of just coming right back. And some people, some people want to talk to me about the idea of original sin. And, and the effects that it has on it. And what I would say about that is that here's what, I, here's what I buy into. I buy into the reality that we are inextricably woven together. There is You and I, we're, we're together. God has created us thus. We have our common humanity. We have our common spirit within us that God has given us. We are together. Whether we want to be or not. And quite frankly, my sins affect you. And your sins affect me. Right? And so in that sense, in the sense that what you do affects the whole kingdom of God and everyone in it, I, I'm, a, I'm a believer in that original sin is a, affects us. But uh, what I think this is all about at the end of the day, sin, forgiveness, and repentance, it's about that relationship. It's about that interwovenness that we have one with another. It's about that we don't re- we, n- there's not a one of us who stand isolated away for God c- to uh, condemn or embrace. God embraces all of us together. And the gift we have is to repair that relationship through repentance, through forgiveness, the relationship we have with God, the relationship we have with one another, 
And it's a constant thing. Over and over again. Realigning myself with the things of the kingdom of God. Turning away from the things of this world. Shedding myself of the burden of the sins that I take on. And we could, we could talk weeks about sin alone, I know. Forgiving others for the sins that they do against me. Repairing relationships. Severing unhealthy relationships. All of that helping us to be the body of Christ. Let us pray. Loving God, you, we know that we have sinned. We know as Paul teaches us, the wages of sin is death. But we also know that as we read further, you say, but the free gift of life is given to us through your love and through Jesus Christ. The death Paul talks about is one where we're not embracing the life we have together in communion with You and in community with one another. Help us to embrace a broader sense of these words and what they mean in our lives. Help us to be actively pursuing a life where we turn away from sin, where we embrace forgiveness, and where we turn back toward You in repentance. Not out of guilt or shame, but out of a desire, God, to be with You and to be all that You created us to be. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.